everybody. This is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. I'm your host, Josh Rapoon. This is the second episode of our On the Road series, and we're here at the Leading Schools of the Future conference, which is the pre-conference for Schools of the Future 2019, um, which is put on by the Hawaii Association of Independent Schools and the Hawaii Society for Technology and Education. Um, here at this pre-conference day, Leading Schools of the Future, I have the chance to talk to Luke Ritchie, who is the director, school director. Luke? Yeah, head of school. Head of school at the Annesley School in Australia. Which city in Australia? Adelaide, beautiful city of Adelaide in, in Adelaide. South Australia. That's awesome. So he's here for the conference, um, and we are privileged to have the opportunity to talk to him. So Luke, um, talk to us about the school that you are head of. Let's start with what is the vision of your school? So Josh, we are absolutely committed to nurturing creativity and curiosity in children and have got a commitment to ensuring that they're taking genuine action uh, at a global level. So that's our vision in a nutshell and it drives everything that we do at the school. Awesome. So, so that people can distinguish between vision and mission, how is your mission different from your vision? bit of a broader statement, but this is a really interesting thing that you raise. I've been chatting with a prominent school leader in Australia at the moment around vision and mission and whether you need to have both. Mm. Uh, so we're about to move into our next phase of strategic thinking as a school, right. and I think that's going to be at the forefront of our conversation. Do you need to have a vision and a mission, yeah. or is a succinct vision enough? And what is the mission? Well, our mission, the mission's a bit broader in that it, it touches on being um, committed to our partnership with parents. Uh, we're a Christian school, have been for nearly 120 years, okay. so it uh, elaborates on that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you, were, if you were to boil down your, your vision and your mission to, you know how people do this, right, down to like three or four words, yeah. what would they be? Strengths, passions, and skills. So everything that we do is uh, developing in our, in our adults, in the children at the school, their strengths, their passions, and their skills so that they can make a genuine impact. And your school is K-12? No, just an elementary school. Oh, it's just yeah, elementary, so two, got We it. start with two-year-olds, oh, okay. uh, and we go up to, say, 12-year-olds, starting year seven next year at the school. Wow, and you're working on strengths right out of the gate? Absolutely, we are. Right. Yeah, some of the most creative thinkers in our school are our two-year-olds. So I'm going to ask, uh, uh, in a second I want to get to a little bit more about your school and about what happens at your school, but let's talk about strengths for a second. And thinking about... Um, the idea of strengths and also creativity and innovation, imagination, which we all talk about is, is there with, with young kids, with elementary school yeah. kids, yeah. but seems to somehow get trained out of them along all the way. Crushed out of it's them. all crushed out yeah. of them. Yeah. So what, and this may seem like a weird question, but what do you do to try to ensure that that does not happen when your students graduate, if you will, from elementary school? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The best time in our school week, if you ask any of our students, is what we call enterprise time. It's a time where teachers uh, have identified their strengths and their passions, the children in the school have identified their strengths and their passions, and they collaborate in multi-age groups together on meaningful projects. Wow. And it's just the best time in the week. Engagement is at an all-time high, as you can imagine, because everyone is buzzing around something that they love. So walk us through how that works like I'm let's say I'm the young student and you're the teacher like how does that process work where the where we end up kind of in the same space because of the because of the choices that we make yeah absolutely 
Uh, there's a space called the Crunchy Cafe, and Josh, I'd love to take you to the Crunchy Cafe. <laughs> I can't one wait day. to come to Australia to see the Crunchy <laughs> the Cafe. The Crunchy Cafe is brilliant. It's mm-hmm. the former cafe from when we had a boarding school at our, at our school. Okay. Um, and it's been given to a group of our students who are passionate about creating and selling products. Right. Uh, and so they've, they've got their workbench there with just items everywhere that they're madly making from finger puppets through to creating little seeds that they're selling so people can take them home to grow them in their veggie garden and there's teachers in there that have got similar passions uh, and they're working together they're also developing a business plan so Mm -hmm. that when they can actually sell their products when they open their shop and they do on a regular basis that they're making an income uh, that they're making a profit and they do on a regular basis it's then reinvested into their business so you've got five six and seven year olds who are learning the fundamentals of running a business right. uh, in a meaningful way. Okay. So <clears throat> just by way of comparison, and yep. I'll do it through a story, um, one of the individuals here at the Leading Schools of the Future Conference is a principal at Waimea Canyon Middle School on the island of Kauai. It is the westernmost middle school in the United States, wow. but not the westernmost elementary school because there's one a mile down the road that's further <laughs> west. But um, I had Melissa on an earlier episode, a podcast episode, And she's been developing something there at her middle school called 20% Time. So the way that she did it was um, essentially to carve out 20% of every day for 20% Time, which is a lot of time. It is. Um, Not just once a week, but actually every day. And then um, connecting with a a national or global website around major global issues, like there are 17 major global issues, including life underwater or peace and social justice things like that and then um blowing out the whole notion that you had to do it by grade that it's just sixth seventh and eighth graders together and so the the kids self-select to a theme and they get the 20 percent time but the teachers also self-select to that theme so into the room every day comes the kids who want to be there and the teacher who wants to be there and they spend that 20 percent of every day working on trying to solve these global issues. In what ways is that similar to what you guys are working on at your elementary? similarities. Very similar. Uh, Very, very similar, but in an elementary context. Um, And we're probably doing it for about an hour and a half to two hours of our week. But our goal is to grow that because it's been successful. And since we've implemented this, we've seen um, significant growth in our national testing results. Now, I'm not an advocate for national testing in any way, shape, or form. But it's an interesting measure. Um, Our results were released last week, uh, and we've seen an increase in our academic results for numeracy and literacy in year three and year five since we have been devoting time to letting children be kids, to have fun, to climb trees, to work on projects aligned with their strengths and their passions, and now all of our students are at or above national average in numeracy and literacy, which is a wonderful correlation between the fact that if you let kids be kids... If you encourage them and you support them, you give them the resources, um, that they will flourish as learners. So if you're not spending time preparing these kids for the tests or not the kind of time that other schools might be spending if they're really focused on these results, to what do you attribute their success in navigating these standardized assessments? Uh, Well, I think they're learning the skills in meaningful ways. So it's not sitting there doing a paper test in preparation for a paper test. Right. It's taking them out into the forest for a day and it's saying, all right, we're going to learn about collaborative problem solving. You're going to need to be a mathematician in the forest in order to solve this problem. Right. Which mathematical skills you need to use and how do you need to use them? Hang on, let's bring two or three adult outside experts in. A mathematician, for example, who we had recently 
hiking in the forest with our year fives. Right. And he was talking. He was an, he, <laughs> he was having these great conversations. There was we actually had an amazing. It was amazing. We had um, one of Australia's leading educationalists, Luca Parry. Um, we had an academic from the University of East London. Yeah. Uh, we had an innovation expert. Uh, and we had the environment minister or secretary for the environment uh, for our state. Right. So we had five significant adults right. with 20 children hiking through the forest learning about sustainability. But there were conversations about astrophysics, about running successful businesses, <laughs> about being a successful DJ, um, about being a mathematician in the skills that you need to be to be successful in mathematics right. while they were hiking in the forest. I mean, that is life preparation. It's not just preparation for a test. Right. But then the correlation has come through strongly that we've seen an increase in our academic outcomes in numerous industry as well. So back to that question. And by the way, I'm just like, my mind is blown. <laughs> I want to go back to elementary school because to go on a hike with a mathematician would be just <laughs> seems like a remarkable experience. And throw in an astrophysicist or yeah, something like that. Yeah, and the like minister for the environment as well. Right. Yeah. So back to this question, though. If you, if you end up alone as a kid up against a test or some kind of evaluation of your numeracy, of your literacy, what is it that's allowing you to navigate that moment? That it, it, What is it that does that? And just, I know it's probably speculative on your part. Yeah, well, it What is, do you it, think it is? It is, but personally I think um, if you've got a broader view of yourself as a learner other than just, I have to answer these 20 questions, yeah. if you know how to be resilient in your learning, if you know that when you hit a question in a paper-based test, yeah. that you don't know, you know how to respond because you've been trained to handle pressure, to be right. resilient, to bounce back. Hey, you can skip that, you can come back to it. Right. At the end of the day, you also know that your worth is not measured upon those 20 questions mm. in a paper-based test. Your right. worth is measured on something much more meaningful. You know that the head of your school <laughs> is more interested in you being a creative problem solver yeah. and being a collaborator who's... who's in a dynamic way, working with a global expert like Yong Zhao, for example, on a meaningful project, right. um, if you know that that's where the value sits, I think it takes the pressure off the paper-based test. Right. Whereas if you're having a paper-based test in preparation for a paper-based test, and the spotlight is put on that paper-based test, right. the pressure's amplified. Right. Yeah. So you've you've come into Annesley School. Did I say that correctly? Annesley, yeah, you've right? done well. You've I've done, done well. well. <laughs> so you've come into Annesley School actually as a as a transformative change agent. Um, what are the what have the conversations been like with your parents um, about this process, and how do you ease them through from in Hawaii we might say to canoe to va'a going in opposite directions at a pretty high rate of speed and that you're jumping out of one and into another, which is not an easy thing to do. So as a parent, I'm concerned that I'm jumping out of one canoe and into your canoe and that the waters in between can be pretty treacherous. So what, what are those conversations like with your parents? Yeah, we've had the majority of our parents absolutely buy in to what we're doing. We've had over 300% growth as a school in the last two years. So growth in numbers of growth students? Growth in enrollment numbers. So wow. We're the fastest growing was in the state paper last week. Yeah. We're the fastest growing independent school in South Australia. Right. So our product that we've put to the market, people are responding. Right. Um, those families that were at the school when I came in, yeah. um, the majority of them were ready for some change. Okay. Uh, and so the buy-in was abundant. Um, but there are a number of families that were hesitant though. So mm -hmm. giving them a voice in the process has been really, really important. That's a key um, part of it is their key, voice. A key part. Same right. with staff. 
Mm -hmm. You know, in order for us to create our, our blueprint for success, which is our very simple, clearly written strategic document, um, right. every staff member had the opportunity to meet one-on-one -on -one with me as head of school right. to share their thoughts on uh, our strengths as an organisation, our challenges, where we should be going. Um, we did the same with students. Uh, genuine buy-in from our community into the creation of the, the heart and soul document of the school. Right. right. Um, and we intentionally kept it very small. So it's just an A3 page um, and everyone knows it. We talk about it all the time and it genuinely drives our action. It definitely echoes other conversations that I've had with um, imaginative, creative educators uh, on this show. Um, that similar theme of if you're going to go through transformation, you do so at your peril if you don't include the voices of your parents, of your of your stakeholder community. If you're just going to impose it and ask them to accept it, then you're going to be in trouble. And you know, we've also we've looked to groups outside of education to give us meaningful data to mm -hmm. support our change. Such groups as? like mm -hmm. Deloitte, PricewaterhouseCoopers, big consulting firms who have done a lot of work in the space of future skills. Mm -hmm. uh, also a group called the Foundation for Young Australians. It's obviously the Australian context, but they've got incredible data uh, around the fact that if we don't make change to, in order to develop future skills in children, that it's at their peril. And so, you know, it's not just me as head of school going, hey, here's a crazy idea, let's have a crack. Right. <laughs> it's right. us as a team going, all right, let's actually do some genuine research Let's look broader than schools because I'm a big believer that um, the information that should be driving change in schools shouldn't be coming just from right. schools. Right. Let's bring in experts like Yong. Let's bring in experts like you know Luca Parry and the like. These you know incredible thinkers who are mm -hmm. on a global scale um, making significant change. And let's get them to help us on our journey. Right. So, wow, this is going by really fast. I can already feel the <laughs> clock ticking on tick, us tick, right tick. here. And well, I we're going to have to get you out to Australia, and we can do an yes, extended episode. Yes, we can do a longer yeah, episode for yeah. sure. Um, I, I do want to ask you questions about what's actually happening back in the room that we were in a few minutes yeah. ago um, at Leading Schools of the Future. But just for a few minutes, I wanted to drill down, drill down on three things. So um, your, your blueprint, your document that I'm looking at right here, talks about student-centered. Your school is student-centered. For listeners, local, national, global, what does that mean? Well, it basically uh, means that we personalise the school experience for every child. So instead of saying to a child, a five-year-old, hey, you're five, you'll come and fit our system mm -hmm. uh, or our, our offering, we say, tell us about yourself. Right. What do you love? What are you great at? What are your challenges? And we're going to mould our model around you. Right. And when we talk about you talk about leading professionals. In your school culture, what does that mean? Absolutely. Leading professionals for me is it's twofold. So where um, uh, teachers are very much the leading experts, some of the best educators that I have ever had the privilege of working with. Mm -hmm. So they are leading in the field, mm -hmm. but they're also leading in their classroom. So teacher leadership for me is significant. Right. Uh, I'm, uh, as a head of school, I'm all about empowering uh, great professionals to get on with their business, right. um, to be creative, to try new ideas, and that's where a lot of our changes come from. Um, this privileged position where I am in to work with some of the best people in the world at right. Annesley, um, and just to say, hey, you're great, go for it, I'm here, I'm, you know, I'm your cheerleader, I'm here to support you, I'm here to go on the journey with you, um, I'm here to help resource you and your creativity. Got it. And you also talk about um, diverse learning. Um, so that can often come across as a, as a jargon 
as education speak to a lot of people. Yeah. In your context at your school, what, what does diverse learning mean? We have children outside of the school every week. Uh, we've initiated a great new program called The Quest yeah. for year three to year seven. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, here we go again. Here we go I, I want to go to your elementary school. <laughs> you need to join Will you accept a 60-year-old into your in, program? You're in. Well, as long as you're happy to become a member of the Adelaide Zoo in year three, oh, because I'll, all of our year threes do. In a heartbeat. And they spend nine Mondays consecutively at the Adelaide Zoo, meeting with the leadership of the zoo, learning about animals, wow. learning about the business model, learning about their sustainable approach to running their business. <laughs> Our year fours become lifesavers. They go down to Glenelg, down to the coast, and they learn how to be surf lifesavers. Our five sixes do this incredible program where we push them so far from wow. a physical resilience perspective that sometimes they might think they're gonna break. Right. And that's where we say, this is the best learning place for you. 30 kilometer yeah. mountain bike rides, hiking up Mount Lofty, um, going and serving in an indigenous community. Great things that traditionally would happen with older children, and we're saying it needs to happen at a younger age. Surely you're not talking about elementary school kids. <laughs> yes, we are, and it's right. so much fun. Well, so that what's so cool about this, again, the podcast series is inspired by Ted Dintersmith's book, uh, book uh, What School Could Be, and one of the stories that he tells is about a, um, I think it's an ex-firefighter, ex-policeman in Fort Wayne, Indiana, who wants to become a teacher, a kindergarten teacher, um, and as soon as he comes in, he starts chafing at the at the scripted culture that he's facing, um, and so he busts out of that and creates a makerspace, and the kids start doing robotics, and they raised all the money for their program. The kids raised all the money by being those kinds of uh, you know serial entrepreneurs. Yeah. That just, um, yeah. So, so diverse learning then means it's it's indoor, it's outdoor. You you're actually everywhere is a learning. And it also means that children are at the table for all the big decisions that are made in our school. So here's a great example. It's one of my favourite examples. When we recruit new staff, new teachers, and we get, in our recent recruitment drive, we had near 100 applicants for teachers that want to come and work at our school. Wow. The first people in our organisation that the shortlisted candidates meet and spend time with are children. So we have a panel of five, six, seven, and an eight-year-old who interview each candidate. But they don't just ask them questions. They take them into our farm and they introduce them to our chooks. Mm. And if an adult chooks does... Chooks are... Chickens. Chickens, okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. There's a little it, Aussie term for you. Yeah. Um, if the candidates don't know how to handle a chicken and the children feel uncomfortable around that, they <laughs> give us that advice and they don't get a job at our school. <laughs> children have a genuine voice at every level at Annesley. Wow. wow. So your school is an independent school. We in, are. in the context of those terms, independent, public, yeah. and charter. Yeah. So... Talk to us for a second here in Hawaii, us public school leaders, about what's possible in a public school setting with all the constraints that we know about, which includes unionized faculty and um, um, all of the sort of state-level mandates and federal-level mandates and all that. Is the kind of transformation that you're describing possible in a public school context? It absolutely is. What does it take to get there? Uh, I think it takes a bit of boldness yeah. and it takes vision and it, it takes a commitment to what's best for children. Okay. So we always come back to what is best for children. Right. If it's best for children, we're going to go for it. Right. Uh, and a lot of the things that I've spoken about um, and the work that we're doing, say with enterprise time where children are working with adults on strength-based projects, right. they don't actually cost any more financially. Right. Uh, it's just a different approach. Uh, and in Australia, we, we have government regulations that we need to meet as well, right. um, and we do. We meet them, but we do it in creative ways. Wow, that's, that's awesome. I, I feel like we might be at a moment here in Hawaii, 
an inflection moment, if you will, or a point um, where that's possible because our state system, which is one unitary school district for all islands under one superintendent, is, is moving rapidly in the direction of empowerment, meaning that under three pillars, one of which is uh, teacher collaboration, the other is student voice, the other is uh, school design, that you and your school community, if you're a principal with your team, you are empowered to build the kind of learning environment Brilliant. that you think is best for that Brilliant. for that community. And so I think the doors are open now for what you're describing. And you know, what I'd say, Josh, this is, I'm privileged that this is my second trip to Hawaii. I was out here working with the Association for Independent Schools last year as well. Um, is that it genuinely is an oasis for excellence in education and progressive education. Right. Um, so when I'm chatting with educational leaders back uh, in Australia, I do put you guys up across your systems yeah. um, as standout leaders when mm. it comes to yeah. um, a commitment to progressive education. And that's why when I come back, I get so inspired with the conversations that I'm having with the school leaders that are here at the Leading Schools of the Future Conference because right. there's this genuine commitment to doing things in a manner that is best for equipping children for success, um, not just in the future, but now. And I right. think that's a big point of difference. That we need to make that commitment that, and acknowledge that children are capable now and not just in the future. Right. We're not just preparing them for 15 years down the track. Yep. They can make a significant contribution now. And I see here in the people that I'm meeting that there's a genuine commitment to that. Right. So good segue to this last section here, which is, that um, you know, 150 feet away from us right now in a, in a convention center ballroom, there are 140 school leaders, public, private, and charter, who are working really hard um, at this Leading Schools of the Future 2019 conference or pre-conference. What they're working on is deeper learning for deeper learning assessments. It, it, this moment gives us a chance to step outside the door and kind of explain what's going on in the room. So what is happening in the room for well, the these room, folks? The room was buzzing, wasn't it? It sure was. <laughs> Absolutely buzzing. One of the reasons why I think it was buzzing is because we did something very different this time. We didn't start with a keynote. We yeah. started right into the work yeah. around round tables, people working in teams and all that. And I think that and was a great breakup. I love how the facilitators up. set it up as a day-long conversation. So the yeah. way that they've structured the day is that it's not disjointed whatsoever. You're not jumping from a keynote to a bit of planning to a keynote to a bit of planning. Right. Um, from the outset, there yep. were four steps for the day. It was clear. Yeah. Uh, multiple people have tweeted about that, and there's some great slides on Twitter already that have been shared publicly, there which are. I love. Right. Um, but it has been about thinking about your current context, right. thinking about what uh, you aspire to, uh, and thinking about um, meeting with experts, and there's 14 experts from across the states that are investing yep. in, um, and I'm out here from, from Oz, which is amazing. Um, investing into that aspirational element of what people are wanting to achieve. And now people are making concrete plans to take back to their school community right. to inspire and challenge and share. Um, but again, it's all around, and there's this incredible commitment. It's all around what is best for children. Right. So what is this really thorny, difficult problem of deeper learning? Why is deeper learning, at least at this point in 2019, still a bugaboo to people, and especially with regard to deeper learning and assessments? Well, I think we're, we're kind of stuck between this, uh, it's called the ATAR in Australia, where you get a number for your year 12, your final year at school, you get a number for your score, right. and then that number dictates what your next step is. Mm. We're trapped, we're in an exciting time, but I feel we're kind of trapped between that style where we're doing standardized tests that punch out a number right. um, to this other exceptionally progressive and, and this, it's, this is where I sit in my 
um, philosophical thing around education is that there are much more effective ways to measure personal growth uh, and to empower someone um, for their next step after school. Right. And I think there's a real battle between you know parents who have grown up in a system where they get a number um, and they're wanting the best for their children right. um, to this system where you know some leading educators are saying, well, there's a better way of measuring growth mm -hmm. and the depth of learning. But there's a battle because you know if, if people aren't used to something, right. sometimes they find it challenging to go down that path. You know the right. canoe analogy that you've talked about. Yeah, I jumping think, out of one. Mm -hmm. I think the canoe at the moment, the two canoes are in a bit of a storm in this, this element. For sure. Yeah. So it seems really interesting because I think the 140 who are in the room have essentially made the commitment that they have to make the leap. Yeah. And now they're grappling with the tools. Yeah. They, they're grappling with the, as I've talked about with other people, the, when, you're, when, you get, when you go on a voyage and you're on a canoe, you got to deal with the beans, the jerky, the water bottles, you know, the rice. You, yeah. have, to, you have to get all your supplies. And I'm struck by... That, that what's happening in the room is that they're gathering the supplies from each other. Yeah. Have you experienced that, or did you experience that when you went through your development at Annesley School? Did, is that kind of the process as yeah, well? Yeah, we're still on that journey. You know, yeah. we'll never arrive. That's, so, the, so the beans the and rice and jerky is a daily discussion. It's a daily discussion. Right. And there are frustrating moments. You know, I, right. I work with the best people. And we get frustrated because sometimes we like it all done now. Right. <laughs> but the change journey uh, and the, the journey of building capacity in an organisation is an ongoing journey. And so I think we'll always, as a school, be on the mm -hmm. two canoes uh, yeah. and gathering and collecting and changing because you know what is driving us is this commitment that children are capable now, not just in the future, uh, and we want what's best for them. Do you ever feel like at your school that there are dicey moments where you might, or, or some members of your faculty, might feel like it's easier to slip back into punching out the number? Absolutely. They do. And so it, does, it, does getting through those moments mean that you have to stay locked on mission and vision? What? Do you know, having a clear, well-articulated vision that is communicated often, that everyone's had the opportunity to invest in the creation of, Right. Is the it's the most paramount thing when it comes to significant change in an organization. Right. Feels like that's a great place to bring this conversation <laughs> to a close. This has been pretty funny because it's the first time I've done this on the road, uh, a version of the podcast outside, and I there was a minor bird chirping a few minutes ago. You can. <laughs> we hear are people. in Hawaii. We yes, we're at the convention center. There's all kinds of noise. There's a guy who's accelerating his motorcycle a couple seconds ago, um, but I think that that's what's going to make this part uh, of the podcast series really cool. Yeah. Luke Ritchie of the Annesley School, thank you so much for this conversation today. Thanks, Josh.